listening to Bleeding Page Podcast. Join authors Chad Lutsky and Jason Brandt as they delve into writing and publishing the dark side of fiction. Chad, I got to tell you, this interview with Tim Wagoner was so different from all the others. You were killing it getting these varied guests. I don't think any of our episodes have been remotely like any of the others. No, they, they haven't. That's been awesome. And I could tell that you were like a little kid over there, man. You were really stoked about it, talking to him. And it is really interesting to hear about the writing. It's just a whole different thing that we haven't experienced before. But yet yeah, it's the same thing that we do, but just different, uh, you know, it, writing, but writing novelizations and writing TV tie-ins and movie yeah, tie-ins. Yeah, it was just really interesting hearing the process and, you know, some of the hands-on, some of the hands-off, just the whole thing just fascinated me. You know, yeah. it's something I'll probably never do, but it just yeah. sounded really, really cool. Yes, I, I'll probably never do it too, but I would do it in a second if given the opportunity for sure. And I and I know that kind of thing does pay well. So, yes, yeah, it was really cool to hear. Uh, before we jump into this, I wanted to mention, I don't know how long ago I said my website had gone down and I was going to try to rebuild with Squarespace, mm-hmm. which I did, but I had a hell of a time transferring my domain that I own through GoDaddy to Squarespace. It, it took, I want to say, four weeks to get sorted out. So even though my website has been finished for a long time, it just went up recently. But so Squarespace was very easy to deal with other than this process. Building the website, it just took me a little bit to get the hang of their builder. Yeah. But, you know, I watched a video or two and that was about it. It's it's pretty simple. I've tied in my mailing list, which I haven't sent an email in like six months. <laughs> I need to do that. Uh, I managed to tie that in. And between the cost of the website and the newsletter there, it is half of what I was paying for my newsletter at MailChimp. Really? So I'm saving about 50 bucks a month and I have the website there. Nice. Now they don't have all of the little newsletter segmentation and all the all kinds of crap you could do with Mailchimp that I never did anyway. Uh, so I basically just blast out an email to everybody. I don't really, you know, segment my list. So it's like I said, it's going to save me six hundred bucks a year, you know, and a band for a website. So I can't right. can't complain too much. They have a pretty cool shopping cart feature that I haven't done yet. That that'll probably be next once I redo some of my books. I want to try to sell signed paperbacks and hard novels, hardcovers through there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looks like I'll be able to manage inventory through it. So if I have three copies here and I have it in the system and people order three copies, it won't be for sale anymore, which should be pretty cool. Yeah. So probably going to be a bit till I get to that, but should be fun. And it was pretty easy. I, I embedded the playlist for this podcast and final guys right on the homepage and it mm-hmm. just cycles. It works good. I, my so bad. It's good show. I have the, newest video shows up automatically. So I don't even have to update my website and all the new stuff just appears. So very cool. I pretty interesting. Speaking of the um, embedded, I, I did the same thing on my, when you asked me for the, the code or whatever it was, um, I did the same thing on my website. So now I have a section on there for, don't know why I didn't do it before for bleeding page. I never did it either. I was just trying to think of how do I set up my website? So I don't have to manually update it every time we have a new episode. Yeah. And there you go. Not too bad. So Squarespace so far, 90%. The the GoDaddy issues, I don't know if that was on GoDaddy's end or Squarespace's end, but that took a while. But now everything's up and running. So not bad. 
So, not bad. so go visit Jason's website. Make it feel uh, at home, warm and fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have a comment section on there. Validated. <laughs> Just go <laughs> snuggle with it for a go minute. Go look at my artwork. Uh, uh, you said you don't have anything, so... Nope, I just don't. Other than uh, I just learned something today. Well, actually, I've known this for a while, but uh, very validated today. You uh, confirmed um, the internet, particularly social media, is the devil. So <laughs> that's all. Yes. Well, we didn't talk about how evil social media is with Tim. So I'm glad you got it in in the intro. I, I, yeah, I had to. It was, it was like itching, getting more of that. <laughs> <laughs> we have to keep the streak alive. <laughs> Yep. So, uh, speaking of Tim Wagner, uh, I'm going to read his uh, bio from Amazon. Don't know if it's out of date, with the exception of he does have a new book that just came out called We Will Rise by Flame Tree Press. It's available now. You can get, get it on Amazon. I'm going to social media links in his website. We'll put in the description below. Uh, but Tim's first novel came out in 2001. He's published close to 50 novels and seven collections of short stories. Since then, he writes original fantasy and horror as well as media tie-ins. His novels include Like Death, considered a modern classic in the genre, and the popular Necropolis series of urban fantasy novels. He's written tie-in fiction for Supernatural, Alien, Grimm, The X-Files, never heard of that, Doctor Who, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Transformers, among others. His articles on writing have appeared in Writer's Digest, Writer's Journal, Writer's Workshop of Horror, he's won Bram Stoker Award, and been a finalist for the Shirley Jackson Award, the Scribe Award, and the Splatterpunk Award. In addition to writing, Tim is also a full-time tenured, oh, I thought that said neutered, professor, sorry, Tim, <laughs> who teaches creative writing and composition at Sinclair College. So, and most importantly, he wrote Halloween Kills, which we talk a lot about. Yes, yes, you were very happy about that. Yeah. And yeah, this is a very different kind of interview, so I hope everybody digs it. I had a blast with it. Get a lot written today? Yes. Okay, Tim, thanks for coming and hanging out with us tonight. Oh, thanks uh, for having me. I You're the first person that we've had. We've had other people on that have done like, some ghostwriting and stuff. We've never had anyone who's done... Um, that I can remember like novelizations and writing in an existing IP doing uh, tie-ins. Um, and I know you've written what, over 50 books and, mm -hmm. and you've got a brand new book out right now called We Will Rise right through Flame Tree. That's right. Which I'm bummed. I didn't know that was coming out because um, in the last uh, couple of weeks I've been reading uh, this right here and I would have snatched that instead um, but this is really good, by the way. Oh, thanks. And I don't know what's wrong with you with that pink devil. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, great book. And your nonfiction book that you won a Stoker uh, word for, didn't you, for writing in the dark? Yep. Yes. That's good. That's really good. And I love oh, the thanks. title. I love the, uh, the play in words there. And that you put a workbook out with it, which is, uh, I remember... When I I started reading the book before the workbook was out, and when the workbook came out, I was like, "Of course, you know this is this is perfect to have a workbook so you can work along with this." But mm -hmm. it's very cool. Okay. Uh, I, I just really hope enjoy it. Helps it. people, and I I like that you've gotten so many. Even though I'm not in it, I like that you ask so many other 
of your peers and stuff like Hunter Shea and, and to add, a, mm-hmm. you know, their two cents about, about different things. So that's, I don't know why you asked Hunter Shea, but, uh, yeah, that's dude, what cool. were you thinking? Hunter Shea? <laughs> <laughs> I owed him money. That's <laughs> like paid off my debt. So, uh, yeah, I would encourage any writer, uh, to, uh, you know, obviously particularly, you know, dark fiction horror and stuff to check that out. Cause it's, it's definitely worth a read and, you know, do the exercises. I, I'm not doing the exercises, but um, I, I still enjoy it thoroughly. So, okay. but I wanted to ask you, because we focus a lot on hybrid publishing and self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, I didn't think that you had, but have you ever self-published anything before? No, not much. I mean, I have one like a pseudonymous erotica story I did just to try to self-publish to see what it was like on Amazon. Yeah. And, um, I had a novel come out years ago that came out again from dark regions. And for some reason they would never accept the, the ebook of it. So Chris just sent me the file and said, just self-publish it. <laughs> so cool. get it out there. So okay. I have self-published the ebook for that, but beyond uh, that, no, I haven't really done a whole lot. Yeah. I, di- I didn't think so, but I thought I'd ask, but my first question regarding the, uh, you know, writing in, um, First of all, how did you like get started in? Is this something writing in using other IPs? Is this something that just fell into your lap or was something that you actively pursued? Yeah, it's something I actively pursued. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you, you couldn't like watch cable or have, you know, rent something at the video store when I was in, uh, in junior high, early high school. So a lot of times any kind of either novelization or, you know, like original adventure set in Star Trek or something. Uh, was a way to just get more of it. You know, you couldn't even watch a movie uh, again until it might show up cut up on TV a year later. So, you know, that was not, it was like a good chunk of my reading back then. And it just seemed like so much fun to be able to play in those sandboxes and to, to go into detail about stuff they normally can't. You know, you can get into the characterizations more, you can get into the world building a little bit, you know, if they'll let you with an IP, you can add a little bit to it. So, yeah, it was just something that I sought out. So on, at first, on your own, you were basically just writing fan fiction. Well, I didn't write anything like that until I got an actual contract to do it. I wasn't like actually writing it. Oh, okay. What was the first IP? Ooh, probably it was for um, White Wolf. It was in their uh, uh, Vampire of the Dark Ages setting. They did a series of 10 books, one for each of the different vampire clans. And I got the, the gangrel clan and we had to coordinate because it was supposed to sort of tell one gigantic story. And so the authors before and after, you know, each other had to kind of collaborate just a little bit so that the stories would kind of fit. So that was the very first one. So that was probably about uh, 2000, 2001, maybe. Now, White Wolf, is that an RPG? Yeah, they did Vampire the Masquerade. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Were you familiar with that at the time? Only from, like, being online and, you know, reading articles about it and stuff. I'm not a big game player, so. Right. I I would always be more interested, like, in getting the manuals and reading about the world and the characters and stuff than, than I was the mechanics of the gameplay or actually playing the games. Now, if you if you're not familiar with something 
Um, are they, do they give you enough materials to like, can you essentially go in blind or do you, to do most of these, do you basically have to have an extensive knowledge of whatever is like, let's say you've never seen Supernatural before and you've written for, for that show. Would you, can you go in, do they give you enough material to just, you know, not, cause I've only seen a handful of episodes and mm-hmm. if, did you, or do you have to be kind of a super fan? already no they they do not care in the slightest if you know you just got to know like, how to write yeah they want to know that you can write yeah and they like to know that it's not a really good place to start because since you have to if you're dealing with somebody else's ip it means you have to work not only with an editor at the publishing house but whoever's in charge mm-hmm. of licensing it for the studio or whatever it is and so you really have to be able to uh, you know, do an outline, do revisions, and the deadlines for these kind of things, for some reason, are always insane. You may have a month to just a couple months to do them. And so they need to know that you can go through this whole process pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they don't they don't care. And they also give you nothing ever. <laughs> you have to go out and find it yourself. Really? So, yeah. so if you get a supernatural contract, do you just go rent a couple of DVDs, I don't buy DVDs, however you would Stream do it. That. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. what I would do. I mean, I did that for Grimm. I got to do a, a, a tie-in for that, and I watched two episodes and thought, eh, this is boring. And then at the end of the first season, they're like, hey, you want to do a Grimm novel? And I was like, oh, sure. So I ran out <laughs> and, you know, had to buy the whole first season and binge it, so I knew what was going on. But, yeah, you you know, a lot of times you can find you can find all kinds of stuff on the Internet. Like if I do a movie novelization, I can find stills that they put out, you know, early publicity stills, sometimes behind the scenes stuff. I'll find interviews with like the screenwriters or whatever. So, yeah, you still have to do research of a, of a type. But, yeah, they don't give you anything. I mean, for one of my Supernatural tie ins, they actually gave me all the scripts for the season at the very beginning. Oh, and I was cool. like, why would I want these? Th-? You know, I mean, I didn't know what I was supposed to do with them. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to set my story in a, a season that was developing, you know. Oh. So I set it like in the, I always set it in a you know farther back season because of that. And then for one novelization, when I did um, Kingsman: The Golden Circle, for some reason, because this never ever happens, but for some reason the director decided I had to go out to Hollywood and watch a cut of the movie. Uh, but I wasn't allowed to take notes with the computer. I was only allowed to take notes with a notebook. And so they stopped the movie every like minute because the director insisted I write down every line of dialogue. So it took like six or seven hours to watch this movie. It was, it was awful. Why could they had like they... two hours of sleep the night before it was terrible. I mean, this Why? is post internet, right? Why couldn't they give you like a password to some, they wherever don't. they, they wow. Don't. I mean, they, they'll do stuff like that with scripts. I mean, I've had scripts, just copies of them sent to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had um, access to the, to the studio's intranet. And sometimes I've had it where you get a password for three days and they don't tell you and then you panic and then you find out you have to get it renewed every three days. So it just depends on the studio, you know, what they do with stuff like that. But they're they're really, you know, paranoid. You know, any kind yeah. of like script that you get, I mean, all the pages has your name on it. Yeah. In, in grayscale. But that way, if you try to take a picture of it or photocopy it or whatever, scan it, everybody's going to know which copy it was. Right. Yeah, huh. that's that's smart. I oh, man, it, as far as research though, that sounds like a blast. Like sometimes yeah. research is not fun, but if you've if you've got to like you know binge a you know you're binging a show, but you're you're you're, you're I, I guess your perspective is different. Maybe you know mm-hmm. you're looking for. 
it's more than just entertainment. You're, I don't know, thinking, coming, you know, ideas and, and just the idea that, the thought that you're going to be using, you know, certain, you know, these characters and just taking right. those kinds of notes. It sounds like a lot of fun to me. It is. I mean, I, I like to try to capture the characters' voices and also the feel of the property because some things are just lighter, some are darker, right. some yeah. are faster paced. It's a lot. I started off in college as an acting major, and it's a lot like that. You know, it's kind of like being an actor and a director of somebody else's script, kind of. Uh-huh. I mean, you're still making the script, but. I guess it'd be like doing a script for a TV show that exists. You know, you're trying to, to mold it to what right. the overall TV show is like. Um, yeah, so those are fun. I mean, plus, you know, you get a chance to, I did an alien tie-in and I was able to make everything up except the alien pretty much. Um, hmm. It did the, It did have an existing character from comic books that they wanted me to use. So the main character. I didn't make up, but pretty much everybody else I got to. So, so yeah, more more or less freedom, just depending on what the project is. When you let, let's let's say the alien one, when you submit that, how many times does that come back to you? Not not many, really. You know, first you you pitch like several different short ideas to an editor, mm-hmm. then they tell you which one, or if they like a couple, they'll just say tell you to pick one, mm-hmm. and then you develop it into an outline of about eh, ten pages, maybe is how they they usually turn out. The editor may give you some feedback, but often, excuse me, often they just send it straight to the studio Okay, because it can take them a while to get stuff back. And Mm -hmm. you don't get an extended deadline a lot of times because of that. So, you know, and then often they say, you know, change this or change that, or they'll just say looks good. And, you know, they'll, they'll read the first draft. They'll read the last draft too and make comments, but usually they don't want you to change much. Do you know? Not often. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. Go ahead. How do these studios view these properties? Do they view them as a, a moneymaker or as advertising for whatever the property is, whatever the IP is? is it- yeah, for, for advertising or just another income stream because, uh, you know, publishers have to pay for the license to, to publish these books. I have no clue how much they pay, but right. uh, they do. And, you know, I think it's probably not true, and I don't know if it's still going on, but in the last couple of years – there's been this thing where the producers feel like they have to have a book, like their movie has to have a book. And I'm like, you guys know how many people read, right? <laughs> Compared to how many people watch a TV show or a movie. Not really sure you need a book. I'm happy to write it, but so I don't know if that's still going on. I'm not sure where they got that idea. Uh, it's kind of new as far as I can tell. But um, so, yeah, yeah, I think it really is just more advertisement. Okay. It's just the whole thing's fascinating to me, just going into another yeah. world and just kind of picking it up and coming up with your own story. I think that's I, you're definitely the only writer I've talked to who does that consistently. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, it, after I did it for a while, it, I realized that if you write genre fiction, you're kind of doing that anyway. I mean, you're working True. with tropes that already exist and, you know, you may do your very, your own spin on them, but you're still reacting to them. And, you know, a lot of myth images we just use that are in the the, the public domain because they've been around forever. But it's kind of similar, you know, working with a set of things that are there. You know, it's kind of like going into somebody else's bedroom and, you know, when you're a kid and they have their action figures there. And you can, you know, you make up a story with them as opposed to doing it at your own house. But, you know, they're still kind of similar action figures, I guess, in a lot of ways. Does it keep it fresh for you? Changing, like, road hopping? Yeah, you know, if I write something like Super Dark, it's nice to write a tie-in that's not. And plus, often I have to do a different kind of story. You know, it may be Alien got, gave me a chance to to write a science fiction story because I tried to get the science part, at least 
to seem, you know, as much real as I could. And then when I did the Kingsman book, it's a spy adventure. And it's not like I couldn't write those kind of things on my own if I wanted. It just didn't occur to me. You know, it's like, oh, this is going to be science fictional. That's cool. I'll give that a shot and see what happens. And it's kind of nice, too, because once you practice that, you're like, oh, I guess I could write a science fiction novel on my own if I wanted to. Um, so in a way, it's kind of like, um, you know, you earn as you learn kind of when you do those things. So you can you can, you know, you write the book and you get the money. But at the same time, you can also like work out stuff that you may be able to use on your own later or pick mm. up skills or something. Sure. Have you found maybe a, a bigger IP like, OK, you said Kingsman. That was a pretty big movie. Mm-hmm. Is the studio more particular because it's a bigger movie or do they not give a shit because they're worried about the $90 million movie? Yeah, I don't think they care. At least they haven't in my case. Or they're just lenient. When I, I did a novelization of Resident Evil, the final chapter, and if you've watched the Resident Evil movies, they don't match in all kinds of ways. They don't make sense at all. <laughs> yeah. In the movie right, right before the final chapter, all the characters were like standing on the, I don't know if it was the, probably the Capitol Dome, whatever it was in Washington. And Washington was completely filled with monsters and it was going to be the final battle. And the next movie begins with, you know, our main character just climbing out of a sewer. (laughs) There's no bodies around the battle's over, I guess, but we don't know where all her friends were from the other movies. And I was like, this is awful. So I decided I was going to write like a little mini book in the front to like tell the story of that battle. So I wrote like an extra 60 pages just on my own to do that, thinking for sure they're going to cut this out. And they, they liked it just fine. They left left in what I did. So I love I'm, that. Yeah, I, love that. I just did it instead of that. You know, I did want to ask permission. I'm like, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. So did the smaller IPs, do they kind of want to fine tune more? Or if you just found it's kind of consistent across the board, they're just. It's pretty consistent. I mean, they'll tell you like with, with Supernatural, the. First or second one I did, they say, well, you can't use like Bobby Singer because because he was dead, but you can't use his ghost or anything like that because we've got plans for him. And then, of course, his ghost did show up. So I wasn't able to, to use him. And they'll tell you stuff like that. Um, if they feel like you've done, you know, taken a character they have or just a concept or something in a different, like a slightly different direction, um, they'll tell you that. You know, like they told me in Supernatural, oh, Reapers don't do this. So. You have to write your Reaper a little different, but other than, you know, th- other than things like that, you know, not so much. Some editors are more hands-on than others. Some are more collaborative than others, but um, in general, the studios and the, the, the IP holders, they seem pretty happy by, by what I do. And that's good. I wouldn't want the, the IP holder to suddenly tell me, you know, at the last minute you have to rewrite this whole damn thing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That would suck. Yeah. Would- and just, we wouldn't have enough time too. What was the one that uh, you were most excited to, to work on? Oh, maybe Halloween Kills, just because, you know, I saw Halloween when it first came out in the theater. And so I've been a, a huge fan of it ever since. That was an alien, too. I remember the first time that back in the days before, you know, YouTube, where you can see, uh, you know, previews whenever you wanted. I was reading, uh, sitting on my porch at my folks' house, reading the newspaper review of alien and thinking, Oh, I got to see this. And I'm like, that kid has no idea that, you know, like 40 years or so later, he's going to get to write an alien book. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty cool. And I got to write a original adventure with Freddy Krueger years ago. That was pretty cool. Wow. That is cool. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. So things like that, just, you know, just stuff you wouldn't imagine you get a chance to do. 
um, whatever it might be. I mean, they're all fun in their own way. There's not any that I've, I've hated or disliked. I have a, a bucket list one. It'll never happen. I'm in no position to, you know, I've never been approached. I, I wouldn't know what to do. But I do have a bucket list one. That I would love, absolutely love, if Coscarelli came up to me and said, um, I, I need you to do Phantasm. Yeah, that would um, be fantastic. Oh, my gosh. I know that his wife, uh, back in the 70s, late 70s, did a, like, uh, they, but I think it was a limited run of like 500. I think mm. she did a novelization of that, which would be impossible to find now, but to to do that or just something in that world because there's so right. much that you could do with it. You know, that's one that you could, yeah. I would love to do Phantasm. So I would there's, too. there's never been one other than what his wife did? N- I don't know. I, I don't mean, believe I, so. I'm I've always seen one that I'm like, I had no idea, you know, that, that this was even, that this, you know, sometimes I'll see a book that I had no idea even existed. So I don't know. It's not something that I collect i have very few i i read i read my very first novelization like uh i think last year i read halloween 2018 i'd never read one before because um i just thought i'd be bored but i was really interested to see i thought it was cool you know there's some scenes in there where it's like michael's perspective and i mm-hmm. thought that was pretty cool how, how he did that yeah, it's really interesting to, I've done four novelizations now, and it's interesting to see what they cut out of scripts. You know, people always complain that, especially with genre films, are like, oh, it's all action, it's no characterization. And I'm like, all that stuff's in the scripts. Even the ones that are highly mm-hmm. action adventure movies, they have all kinds of character stuff in there. It's the stuff they cut because they don't, I guess, have time for it or figure it's just going to slow down the action. Yeah. But you get to put that stuff in the books. And so that's really cool. It's one of the things I loved reading about reading them when I was a kid is that you get all this extra stuff and plus getting in people's heads. I love that. Mm -hmm. Like I would read the Star Trek, the movie novelizations with movies came out and I'd be like, Oh, I get to be in Kirk's head and see what he's thinking. So, or Spock's head. So that was really cool. The, the Halloween kills one. Is that out yet? Yeah, that came out about a year ago or so. Oh, it did. What am I October? What am I thinking? What's the last one? Halloween ends. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's coming out, I think. I didn't write that one, but it's coming out. I just heard today, October. I think the movie's October 14th. So the books usually comes out a week later. A week, okay. Do they, because uh, as a novelization, the the way they handle it with you differently than just writing your own story? Um, I guess it depends on like your relationship with an editor. If you've worked with an editor for a long time, you may just be able to sell them on a simple little pitch. And they'll be like, you know, could even just be a verbal one. And they'll say, yeah, sure, go write it. But with anything that's an IP, I mean, you really have to have a a, a pretty solid outline. And, you know, if I write my own stuff, I can just deviate from my outline all I want. But I don't deviate from an outline when I do tie-ins because this is what they expect. Right. You know, I I can't suddenly, I don't know, throw in a bunch of political stuff (laughs) to make a statement because, you know, that would get yanked out right away or whatever I might want to do. So, yeah, the, the outlines are more more strict, and I just follow them more closely. And then you have the – with the novelizations, you just get idiosyncrasies. I mean, when I did the novelization of Triple um, X, The Return of Xander Cage, um, the draft came back to me in the studio that said I had to take out all of Xander's thoughts because he's a man of action and he never thinks. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I said, Okay. <laughs> You know, so I took all that out. And then when I did Halloween Kills, you know, the one of the things about a script is that you can have an actor, the, the line is just like the word no three times. 
like, you know, they can't believe what's happening or they're up screaming or whatever. And an actor can say no three times in three different ways, but I can't write the word no in dialogue three different ways. So I, I trimmed some of the dialogue like that and clarified some. And uh, the, the note came back that, no, I had to put in the dialogue exactly word for word the way it was written. And so I just I have places where the, the character just says no, no, no three times. And I'm like, I don't know what that reads like, but that's what they wanted. So it's what I did. Hmm. It's weird. You would think if if they wanted somebody, you know, he's all action and uh, no voice, that would be Michael Myers, not. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I still wrote scenes from Michael's point of view. I wanted yeah. to. Those are my favorite ones to write because you kind of you can't actually get into his head because I don't know if there's anything in there. And if there right. is, it's alien. Sure. So but, you know, I tried to write it the same way I would write like a, a shark. Like if I was going to write about a shark doing its thing. And so that was a lot of fun. People yeah, seem to good. like it. Okay. So. That, good. Jen. Good. I was just going to say that I can't imagine how surreal that, that must have been to, I don't know how much time you spent on the book, but you know, hours and hours and hours writing uh, Halloween kills based on this script and then actually um, being in the uh, movie theater and then watching it. Yeah. Watching once you've done a novelization, watching the movie is very strange. I mean, you've already spoiled everything. Yeah. Uh, the only thing to see is, did they do anything different? And it's like what the version that was in your head is always fighting the version that you're seeing. Right. Right. And um, so in a way it's like you spoil the whole experience of watching the movie when you write a novelization, but it's cool because you get to be the only person on earth that got to write that novelization, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's totally worth it, but yeah, it was a little, it's just a little weird. To, it sounds to like it's, it's very similar to just reading a book, you know, reading the green mile and then watching the movie or reading the shining and then watching the movie, except for way more surreal because you were so, um, you know, like every time I, I, I read a book and then I go and watch the movie because I know the movie's there and, and especially in, in something newer, it is, it's like, I want to know how they did this and how they did mm -hmm. this. And is it matching up with how it was in my head? And, Usually it isn't. And why didn't they put here and, oh, that's a bummer that they, you know, didn't spend as much time on this character and stuff like that. So in in that aspect, it sounds similar to just, uh, but, uh, but on a, definitely on a different level with you with uh, having just given the script and then yeah, going in there and say, well, I did my part and I wrote this thing and now let's, let's see what they did and what visually this really looks like, what everybody right. else is going to see. And sometimes I, if there's something, they change a lot from the scripts and I try my best to, to try to either figure out what they're going to change or go by whatever images that they leak and, or, or just, you know, send out on purpose. But with uh, resident evil, they had a group of um, like survivors and they, in the script, they all had skulls tattooed on their faces. And I'm like, that just sounds like something they wouldn't do in the movie. I mean, it had, it, there was no reason for it. Mm -hmm. And so when I, you know, I searched the internet and uh, I finally found pictures of the scenes. And of course, nobody had a skull. One guy had a skull in the back of his leather jacket. So I was able to put that in. But So I try as best as I can to match that kind of stuff up just because, you know, when I was a kid and you'd get a, get the book cover and if it didn't match the book inside, I'd be upset. Like they got yeah. the wrong hair. You know, this scene's not in the book or whatever. So how many times did you have to type evil dies tonight? <laughs> Way too many damn times. <laughs> I even tried to take, I think I tried to take one or two of them out because sometimes they get repeated, you know, in the, like in the dialogue three times. And I'm like, 
you know, I can only italicize or capitalize <laughs> stuff so much to try to give some indication to it. So, yeah, oh, that God. seems to be the the everyone's. I, I personally loved it because I just love Michael Myers and I love to see him kick ass all over mm-hmm. and, and kill everybody. But um, I know a lot of people didn't like it. One of the reasons why is yeah, Evil dies tonight. Yeah, you know, and the script had the script had some hints that there was some kind of supernatural stuff going on on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite scene, they took it out of the movie, but my favorite scene in the, the script, I mean, it's mostly there, but the moment isn't there. It's when Michael's getting the shit beat out of him by the, the mob. Mm-hmm. And in, in the, in the book, they've taken his mask off and that's when he gets to be, weak. he's, he's like a baby. He just curls up mm-hmm. and they are just wailing on him. And it's when he puts it back on that suddenly he's like empowered and stands up and just kills every single one of them. And I'm like, sure, that could be psychological, but it was also really cool. And there's other little hints that they had. And they had me tone it down a little bit because they're like, oh, there's no supernatural stuff to this story. And I'm like, dude, did you read your script? But it was just a couple little hints. Yeah. It's like his Hulk Hogan moment. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. That's great. I was really disappointed they put that out. Hmm? They said there's nothing supernatural. That's what they said. I mean, it's, you know, I think in general that, you know, what I like about Michaels, he treads, he treads this weird liminal kind of space where you don't know what the hell he is exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes him so awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't want to go too far and say, you know, Oh, it's the, the cult of whatever. Thorn yeah, I don't whatever. want, I don't want any answers ever. We right. don't need them. I love that mask idea though. That's yeah, that's really neat. That's a shame they didn't do that. Especially if it's uh, ambiguous and you're not sure if it's you know a, a uh, um, what do they call them? Starts with the P. The the um, oh man, I use the word all the time and I can't think of it. Uh, psychosomatic. If you're not mm-hmm. sure if it's psychosomatic mm-hmm. or if right, it is right. something else, right. Yeah, yeah in, in, the, in the script they made it a lot clearer how wounded he was. So I'm like, it better be, it better be magic. <laughs> There's no way in hell this man is surviving. Yeah, yeah. The end of that, it, I thought it was like, oh well, clearly this is supernatural. So the fact that they would yeah. say there's nothing supernatural here, I'm like, huh? Okay. Yeah. In the, in the script, it says his last breathing. I mean, that, that Laurie can hear that it's like liquidy and strained. So you get the idea that he's really, you know, physically messed up on some mm-hmm. level. So at least I, I hear that the, the last movie is going to take place removed in time, a good distance from the the last one, which is good because I imagine Michael's convalescing somewhere for, yeah. for, for quite a long time. That's okay. That's, that's really funny and interesting. I, I like hearing that. Uh, just the disconnect sometimes cracks yeah. me up and things like that. And you have to believe that a guy who's like in his sixties, that doesn't get any exercise much because I'm yeah. sure they do not let him go into the gym or whatever. Mm-hmm. He is still capable of doing all this stuff without some something powering him. The arguments we've all had over these yeah. newest yeah. movies. <laughs> but they uh, left they left some of that in where you know Michael feeds on violence or this is Michael's greatest masterpiece, you know, something to kind of give that feel mm-hmm. to it. They kept some of that in, so I was glad to see that. Yeah. Do you uh when when you do a movie like well, the novelization for the last movie? Do you often get offered the next one or do they like to do different authors for each book? 
It, it all just depends. I mean, uh, John Passarella did uh, the first, you know, Halloween 2018 novelization, and I did the second one. And I don't know who's doing the third one. When I asked, they said the studio insisted it was a, a writing partnership of two people. They said that they wanted them to do the book. And so the editors were like, we're stuck. We just have to do that. Hmm. And so I don't know who they are. I haven't. I checked the other day to see if the book was up for pre-order because I was curious, but it's not yet. So, huh? So uh, yeah, I wondered if they'd like to keep consistency, if they just don't care, if it depends on the publisher. I have no idea. In this case, I guess it's the studio, but I read John's book, you know, and I'd already seen the movie, of course, but I read his book because I wanted to try to make mine matches as much as possible. But in his book, they say the Myers house burned down a long time ago. And that probably was in the script and they cut it maybe from the movie. But in the second movie, I mean, we have a couple that's living in the Myers house. They've you know, refurbished the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I did my best, but some stuff like that, I might've put in that there was a rumor that the house burned down, but it never did or something. I try to do as much as I can to try just for readers. So they have a, a smoother experience if they read them back to back or something. Right. Sure. Huh. Okay. I find all this so fascinating. How do you, do you have an agent who finds you these deals? I was or? just going to ask that same question. Yeah, you know, get, get, getting to do these things, is, they can happen in all kinds of different ways. Um, you can approach, if you can find out, because you can ask if authors, especially if you know them, you can ask, like, you know, who's your editor there, and uh, go ahead and contact them. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll just in the early days, I would just send an email and say, I'd like to do this. And they, they would say, Oh yeah, that will keep you on in mind, but we don't have anything right now. And then twice I've had editors say, Oh yeah, we had an author drop out. We need somebody quick to step in and, and finish this. And once you start doing some, then you get known for doing some, and then they might come to you. And then, you know, the editors, they cycle out every few years. I mean, editors just like musical chairs all the time. And so then, you know, suddenly you don't have an editor asking you anymore and you kind of have to start over a little bit. But your agent can also, you know, send, uh, check in with them every once in a while and, you know, see if you got anything from my client. So it's just to kind of try all the different things and then see what happens. Okay. So you don't have an agent who brings you these things. Now your name is kind of out there and you're able well, to. Well, yeah, she, she can. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, they can come from all kinds of places, is what I'm okay. saying. I got you. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, there are places that um, uh, Aconite Books, which is uh, they're doing a lot of stuff based on uh, board games and a lot of Marvel, like second tier, third tier Marvel characters that aren't in movies. And you can go to their website and sign up for their newsletter. And, you know, it says, you know, they want you to be a published writer. But other than that, so uh, Aconite spelled with a Y, everybody can go just you go sign up for their newsletter and they'll say, Oh yeah, this is, we're looking for writers for X, Y, Z properties. And they'll list several and you have the email, you can go ahead and pitch some ideas and see what happens. So there are some that are just, you know, really open about what they're doing. Hmm. Um, there's some book packages too, where the outline may already have been written by somebody, but they may hire you to uh, write the book from the outline. Uh, one of them's relay publishing and you can go, they have, their jobs, what they're looking for, posted right on their site. And then you can go ahead and email them. You know, they have a little form for you to fill out all your data and all your experience and everything. So there are places where, you know, individuals can have to know about them or find out about them. But there are places where you can reach out on your own. I mean, you don't have to have an agent and you don't have to have already done tie-ins. 
But once you start breaking in, you can always like when you approach an editor, it's like, oh, yeah, I did this adventure for this Marvel character, Dazzler, yeah. at Aconite Books. And they're like, oh, this person has experience. So and then it can, that, that can really help. Yeah, and then it definitely. doesn't hurt to network with these people at conventions if you can, too. Uh, sure. Especially like for the game people, if you go to a gaming convention, a lot of time, the times the editors are just there. So you can go ahead and go up to them and talk to them, see if anything's open. You got anything? Oh, wow. Okay. I, this is a whole new world to me. I'm finding so fascinating. Yeah. What, um, without giving any kind of numbers, what what pays better these days? You just releasing a new book or are you getting a, a gig like what we've been talking about? Oh, a tie-in gig for sure. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, some are, some are you know, less remunerative than others. but yeah. mm-hmm. uh, And I think that if you, I'm not sure about this. Uh, they don't pay like they used to at all. They used to pay something like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Nothing like that anymore. But um, yeah, I think maybe that if your agent may push too hard and get like your price gets too high, suddenly they may not <laughs> find your email box empty because they may go for somebody a little bit, a little Especially cheaper. Especially if they don't care all that much. It's just a, another you, you know stream. Right, revenue. but I don't know that for a fact. That's just a suspicion of mine. Yeah, yeah, but. Hmm. But yeah, the tie-ins, I mean, you know, you do a small press book and you may get like nothing to $200 or $500 or maybe $1,000, which if you, you know, it's not anything to sneeze at necessarily, but for a whole book and all the work you put into, it's not a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, the original fiction, especially in a small press, doesn't doesn't pay anything. Mm-hmm. But it depends on the company too. There's, I can't, I'm not going to say the name of the company because I don't have a contract yet, but this company is doing an anthology and the stories are going to pay as much as like a, a low advance for a book. And I was like, where the hell did you people get this money? And we'll see if I get a contract for it. But I was shocked that, so I just, sometimes I don't know. Um, I think maybe it can be good that if there's a company out there that has no clue how much authors are paid, maybe, maybe they'll go ahead and pay more. So the money's kind of all over the place in, in a lot of ways, but it's still better than the small press. Um, you know, it can be better than an, uh, the first advance, maybe for your first novel, original novel. Um, but you can definitely, I think, if you're, you get up into the, the higher levels, uh, you can definitely make a lot more on your own stuff, probably. I was just going to ask about, along those lines, building a following for your own stuff. Is it difficult? Like, do, do your readers go, okay, he wrote an Aliens book, I'm going to go read that. He wrote a Halloween book, I'm going to go read that. Or are you just dabbling in, on someone else's playground and it's only those people over there that are kind of following you? Yeah, I mean, so if, if you already have people that like your stuff, they may check out your tie-in stuff. The tie-in people don't like you, they like Supernatural or they like Halloween. They may still think you did a good job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've had like a couple Supernatural readers try some of my horror, like the one Chad held up. And then they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and then <laughs> they definitely regret it, TV. you know, because all the it's just so different. And um, so I, in some ways, it's probably good. There's not a crossover like that, at least for, for me. But, yeah, I mean, the common wisdom is you don't get crossover. You know, if you write Star Trek books, the people who like Star Trek will read them. And that's about it. They right. won't read your original science fiction. Most of them. Yeah. Okay. So it's almost essentially a a secondary career. You have your original stuff and then everything else is just pay to play kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. Now when you, when you're just, does writing the tie-ins and the novelizations, does it feel more like a job or is it still freeing and and it's a creative outlet for you? No, it, it, it feels it's different than writing my own stuff, but it's fun. 
mm-hmm. you know, with my own stuff, I can do anything I want and often go kind of wild uh, yeah. in terms of my imagination, but can't do that with, with tie-ins. And so they, it's a different thing. It f- makes me focus. And, you know, I don't have to worry about creating everything because there's something that's already created. Right. Uh, the hardest one I ever did was for the, not the old eighties video game, but the computer game that maybe came out in the late nineties, early two thousands of, of the game defender. And, you know, that game doesn't have a world. It just has a, you yeah. know, pretty much somebody shooting aliens. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make up a lot for that one. So it was still fun, but it didn't really have any kind of restrictions on it in a lot of ways. So sometimes it's easier, you know, if at least you have a, a certain amount of things to work with. And novelizations are weird because it's like a collaboration with somebody you're never going to meet, you know, Mm -hmm. because they've already written a story and they've already written dialogue. And a lot of times, depending on the script writer, they may have written some nice descriptions of things too. You know, some are more descriptive than others in terms of the setting or the action. And so I try to use as much of their own stuff as I can, even some of their phrasing, uh, just so that it feels more like a real collaboration. So their voice still comes through. So that's kind of cool, the the collaborative aspect of it. And the fact that your collaborator is not there to yell at you if they don't like what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they can't say no. Has writing, you you mentioned that some of these are very quick turnaround. You have a month Mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. Has writing those, has it changed the way you write your own stuff? Made you maybe, I don't know, write faster or research more or less, or is it just you kind of have always written the same way and that's just what you do? I mean, the, the process for novelizations are diff- is different, but because what I do is I know I have to have all the dialogue, so I type all the dialogue first with nothing else. And then I, have, I see how many words I have from that. And all four of the ones I've done, the dialogue, I forget what it comes out to, 8,000, 10,000 words. It, it was consistent for all scripts. It was really weird. Uh, and then I just know what I have to build on and I just kind of write around it, which is what I, I don't ever write like that in any other way. But other than that, hasn't, yeah, other than that, it hasn't changed anything. I'm, for a long time before COVID, I would go out uh, to a coffee shop and sit and handwrite, then type it up later. But I, you don't have that kind of time, especially with novelizations. So those things I compose directly on the screen. And I've been composing on the screen again since COVID hit. So for the last two years, I don't know if I'll ever go back to handwriting. We'll see. Hmm. So, so you've that's changed, but you've always done outlines. Yeah, usually, um, you know, I a lot of times I don't ever look at them again. Uh, once I've done them, um, I've already got a basic idea of the story, and I just don't look at them and hope the editor doesn't care. And so, so far, so good. Um, but yeah, I always have some kind of outline, and I usually outline in in, in formal ways as I get to things. So I'll be thinking, okay, here's the stuff I put in this chapter, and here's the stuff I'm going to put in this scene, or oh, here's the stuff I want to do tomorrow that's more detailed. And so I kind of have like a, it's almost like a, a, a series of outlines that kind of like giant and then less giant and less, and some of them are just for the scenes as I go. They may just be on a post-it note that I look at the next day or whatever. So I'm always kind of ordering things as I go, and I spend a lot of time thinking about what I want to write and trying to picture it and imagine the dialogue just as I go around, you know, throughout my day. And that helps because I've already done versions of it in my head so I can go faster once I sit down. So it looks like I'm writing fast, but you know, I may do a lot of prep work, uh, that you can't see. Sure. Huh. I, 
I'm loving this. I'm loving hearing about this. I've never <laughs> yeah. talked to somebody who writes uh, writes this way. It's very cool. Do you do this full time, or do you have a job? No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm a I'm a full time professor at a community college. I teach English. Oh, I've, been, okay. I've done that for 22 years. Before that, I taught part time at a lot of places. But so you're super busy. I am busy. What the but hell you are you doing what, here what, talking what, to us? Well, <laughs> yeah. one of the, the hardest things about being a teacher is learning how to give feedback to things. And once you do that, it's easier. It's like being a parent. The hard, It's like the first one's hard because you got to learn how to be a parent. And the second one's going to be different, but you've already done a lot of your learning on the first one. So it's it's easier in a lot of ways. And so for me, I mean, teaching is big. Some parts of it, at least the paperwork part of it, has become easier as I go. I mean, you know, the generations change slowly, but they change. And so reaching peak like 18-year-olds now is a lot different than trying to do that when I was only a few years older than 18 in teaching. Right. Well, how do you write, if you get a, a, a contract that says you have to have this done in two months, do you just come home every day and just work your yeah. ass off all evening? Yep. I'll get up early. Like I'll get up at five in the morning and write before I have to go to class. I know what my class schedule is going to be. So, you know, it's, it's not like I'm in the classroom for eight hours a day. And so I do have some downtime. I mean, it's, you know, if it's a three week thing, I'm like, okay, I could put off grading just a little bit. Um, because all that's, you know, mine to decide when to do, as long as I don't save it all for the end of the semester or anything, sure. you know, so it's mostly timely. And so just juggling stuff. And, you know, I've never been diagnosed, but I sometimes wonder if I'm not ADD because I really like having a lot of different things to do that I can switch from one to the other, but then I can also hyper-focus when I need to. So, yeah. And then, so I may write like with Halloween, I had three weeks to do it. Halloween, uh, uh, kills. And I was, uh, when did I write that damn thing? December of 20, no, 2019, maybe. I don't know, but I had one of the first cases of COVID before it was even diagnosable. Um, I, I found out cause I had was tested for antibodies later. And so I wrote that damn thing on COVID. <laughs> I was so sick. I was sitting here in this chair and having a fever. So it actually helped me get through it give me something to do, but you know, I would be, wasn't going to be sleeping anyway. Cause I didn't feel that great. So, you know, I just got up at five and wrote till like noon and the, I think they had shut down our school just to, they had, they had just shut it down. It was probably over spring break. It's probably March. Maybe, maybe it was March of 2020, but I didn't have to go in for like three weeks where they were trying to figure out what the hell to do about classes. And so then I could write it like a full-time writer and that helped a lot. But yeah, I was writing till about eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night. Wow. So I got it done. You're making me feel lazy here. I'm not sure that you're I like this part now. <laughs> you're not lazy. It's not, it's not a race. No, it's just, it's very impressive to hear how many books you've written while working full time. That's, uh, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, but it doesn't allow me to, I mean, some writers go slow. They craft their sentences. They work them and work them and work them. And, you know, I, I, to revise and try to work them, but I, I'm not like worried as much about, you know, how beautiful the prose is and that kind of stuff. So I, it's the way I read when I was a kid, I would just blaze through books. I love books that I can blaze through. Mm-hmm. So it's the kind that I write, but you know, it's a trade off for, for whatever it is that you do. There's an infinite amount of things you don't do, you know, in a, in a work and I don't let it bother me or anything, but I also know there's like all kinds of benefits to, to writing other ways to producing more slowly and more thoughtfully, maybe. Sure. I, I just don't do any of it. <laughs> Thoughtfully? <laughs> what are you talking about? 
Any other questions you have, Chad, before we uh, um, get out of here? <clears throat> no, I, I did want to, I guess, make a comment real quick. Uh, I just want to thank Tim for, uh, I, I think I already sent you a message uh, a couple of years ago, but since I have you right here and I'm looking at you to thank you for taking the time to read The Pale White and give it a nice blurb, I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. It was really good. Yeah, thank you. Well, we ask everyone two questions all right. right at the end. And the first is, of all the things you've done or tried in your writing career, what, what would you recommend people not waste their time on because it just did not work for you? Oh, God. That's really... Well, the very first book that I had published, it was um, an editor that I'd worked with. It's actually one of the only two people I collaborated with on a story. He became the editor for this short-lived company called Foggy Windows. And the whole idea was uh, erotica for married couples. So the couples in them had to be married and never have sex with anybody outside the marriage. And he asked me to do a mystery. And I, I couldn't with, I think I had to have nine sex scenes in it. And I worked really hard for the scenes to all fit the plot, but I couldn't take it seriously. So I made it a comedy and there are still some copies out there. I still have some. So I called it dying for it because, you know, there's a murder in it and I had to have like a sex title. In it. It, yes. And for some reason this had to be work for hire. It's just what the, the publisher who owned a hardware store, that was the publisher. Um, it's just a okay. weird little startup. So there was only like four or five books that they did. Mine was one of them. And it's just so different than, I mean, if you, you want to go read something as a curiosity, that would be fun. But it's the one thing I wouldn't tell people to, it's not like I'm not proud of it. I think it's fine, but it's just so different than everything else I've done. It wouldn't give any, you know, give you any idea of what any of my other stuff is like. Yeah. So don't write family erotica for a guy who owns a hardware store. Yeah. <laughs> that is good advice. That, that would be my advice. Although I've told, I was told that he wouldn't even remember that he had had all rights to these stories. So if we filed the serial numbers off, we'd probably be okay. But <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to do that with this book. And what have you done, or what advice would you give someone that uh, what has worked the best for you? How about that? What has worked the best for me? That's a really hard question. I mean, I. I I know that one of the biggest things about writing is that it's just a series of choices over and over and over again. And I read an article not too long ago, a couple of years ago about something called decision fatigue, where you can only make decisions for so long and then you can still make them after that, but they suck. And people don't know when they get to that point. I mean, you can feel you're tired, but you don't realize you're making bad ones. And so I think that if people can figure out when is the time for them to be able to make those decisions, when can they do it? And what kind of environment do they need? You know, do they need sound? Do they need quiet? Do they need this, that, or the other thing? Um, the more you can interrogate your own process, what you need, the better. And then use those things like uh, like keys that unlock a lock. You may have one or two used the most of the time, but if a lock doesn't unlock, you try again. Like I learned a few years back that I'm good for one writing session every 12 hours not just 24, just one in 24 hours. Cause that's what you think, you know, you do your writing for the day and you stop. So when I, if I know that and I have to produce, I know that I can come back later and do that. Um, I know the kind of environment I need in general to write, but I also know that I can adapt to others and anything at all about your writing process that you can figure out. Cause I see so many people that post about being blocked and they can't get stuff done. And I'm like, just keep trying all kinds of different methods it could be anything. I like candles that smell like something. Maybe that's going to help. Um, 
right outside if that helps. I don't know. Stay away from the booze. <laughs> Stay away from that. Or just a little tiny bit. Um, the trying to write like the last thing before you go to bed probably is not so good. And then also just don't beat yourself up if, uh, you know, you don't write every day. You don't need to write every day. I mean, it's practicing something is good to build skills, but some days you can't. Once my first daughter was born, I, went, I was lucky to get a page a day done, if that. And, you know, I set just a goal of like three pages a day. And if I didn't get my three pages, I didn't cry about it. But the next day I would try sometime during the day. By the time I hit the, the bed, I had to have three pages done. And I'd write in little bits and pieces and. So just keep it, just try all kinds of different things with your process and see what works. And then if one day it stops working, try, try again, try a bunch of other stuff. Hmm. Outstanding. Tim, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us, even though you're super busy. I'm, I'm not busy enough. This is my busy tonight. I always okay. love having conversations like this. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>